0: I praise the Lord. Uh, good to see everybody this morning. I'm uh, blessed to be able to come here and share this time with all of you. Uh, as, as many people have testified, we do need each other. I need you, too. It's This is, a, this is the best party all week, is all i got to say. There's a party up the road at the church going on. I was going to make you listen to the rest of the song. Uh, Turn with me to uh, Luke 7, verse 36. We've been uh, looking at a lot of stories of grace. And, you know, I'm constantly asking God to uh, bring to mind some of these stories to be able to share, to illustrate. Um, This is one of them. We've touched on it a few different times. But this is a uh, dinner that was interrupted by a sinner. Chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. Are you there? Yes. All right. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. You know, if we just kind of (laughs) pause for a moment, we put ourselves there in that moment, uh, you know, we too might be a little embarrassed with that extravagant show of humility. And we'd be, you know, sometimes we see it here. Praise God for that. it can, it can uh, shock you a little bit. But this, this moment was used by Jesus to really illustrate not only grace, but who he is and, and what people think about him, who, who they think he is. Well, he continues on. And Jesus answered him. Notice that the Pharisee didn't say it out loud. He was thinking to himself. But Jesus answered him. That should wake you up a little bit. Jesus knows what we're saying, even when it's not coming out verbally. So verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them do you think will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. These were all customs, regular customs that they would do when people came to visit them. And the fact that the Pharisee didn't do any of this tells us a lot about what he thought about Jesus. And the fact that the woman, the sinful woman, was so extravagant with her love and her humility again shows what she thought about Jesus, who she thought he was. Uh, verse 47, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So again, as we think back through this, how did Simon the Pharisee treat Jesus? Well, I think from reading the story we can say he treated Jesus as maybe an equal, a peer. Um, nothing special in fact I think we could say that he looked down on Jesus he figured that he was better than me I'm a Pharisee, I'm going to invite this radical dude to my house for dinner (laughs) you know, as as an act of show and grace that yeah, I can get along with people that are offensive that's his attitude that came across it wasn't This is the Messiah that we've been preaching, that we've been looking for for 2,000 years. I'm honored to have him here. The fact that he would come to my house. Wow. But that wasn't his attitude. That wasn't his attitude. And and we can almost imagine that um, he had a very... um, you know, blasé attitude towards Jesus when he invited him into the house and, um, you know, to say, Jesus, take a seat, I'll be with you in a moment. You yeah. know? And, and somehow this woman hears that Jesus is there. So she seeks him out and goes into this house knowing that the Pharisee looked down on her. that He um, just despised her because... She was so much below him because he was righteous. He was not a sinner. But yeah, that woman was. And you can just, Jesus knew all of this going on. And you gotta love Jesus how he just kind of waits for the moment and then lays it out there in a way that is so plain that, you know, Simon knew he'd been smacked upside the face without Jesus doing anything other than teach him a little lesson there. What do you think Jesus thought about the Pharisee? What do you think? Um, I think it comes across in the story that he felt almost sorry for Simon, because he was so arrogant that he couldn't even see his own sin. He couldn't see how proud he was, how arrogant he was. And you can imagine that Jesus still just felt bad for him, but the man had to hear the lesson. He had to see the comparison. Jesus knew that woman was going to be coming in, and you could just imagine him a few moments before she comes in, he's just thinking, oh boy, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. <laughs> you know, what did Jesus think about the woman? He had the greatest compassion and love for her because she she had it right. She understood that um, you know she was a sinner, and more importantly, she understood that Jesus was the one that was going to forgive her sin. You know, she didn't. You know, Simon is sitting there, and you know he's. We've all. I, Seen people like this, we've all had conversations with people like this, you know, that uh, they'll, they'll give um, voice to being a sinner, but you can tell by their attitude and their demeanor, they don't really think they're a sinner. But they use the word. And then there's other people that come up, and they're so humble. And, and they know their, their place compared to God. They know that they need His grace. It occurs to me that the fact that Jesus (coughs) didn't give up on Simon and the people that He surrounded Himself with Mm -hmm. kind of shows us that no matter how unchurched, how arrogant, how self-righteous, how dogmatic, how offensive other people might be, If we truly have the heart of Jesus, then our job is to look for opportunities to show his love and his acceptance of all people, because it's not ours to judge. And it was Jesus' place to judge, and yet he didn't. Well, even so, look—he actually went to his house. Yeah, he went to. His he didn't house. say no, Simon. Come on here. Waste of time. Why would I spend the I got, a, I got a, a simple woman's house. I'm going to go to instead. No, he went there. Yeah. And he showed. Yeah. that woman coming, he showed Simon. He gave him a shot. Yeah. A big shot, reading his thoughts. Mm-hmm. We have those divine and appointments. I also feel like this is a really great example, again, over and over in the Bible, of law versus grace. Mm -hmm. Because the Pharisees, to me, always seem to represent law. Yeah. And Jesus came to say, you know what, it's not going to be just about you anymore. All these other people, just like this woman, are accepted because of her humility and everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another example of that. I think... uh the principles revealed also that we're all equal in God's eyes, yeah, and exactly. um, you know the, He wasn't playing any favorites. He doesn't, so. And if we're going to be more like Jesus, like the song says, and which is my prayer, not, Well, I'm working on it, but I'm not close. But if you know, if that's truly our desire then we have to look at people on an even playing field mm-hmm. and not judge, oh, that person is beyond hell. No man, no, is beyond hell. Yeah. And I am I am Jesus' emissary to those that look beyond hell, for those that I just think they're crazy because of the things they believe. Yeah, yeah, amen. The word I've heard is the ambassador for Christ, for the, the earnest ambassador for those people. Yep. So, the question becomes, you know, who is this man Jesus? Who do you think he is? Who do we think he is? Uh, We remember that time when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? (coughs) Turn with me to uh, John chapter 1. And... There's so much to learn about who Jesus is. And I don't think we can ever tire of learning that. And so um, I think we want to go through this particular passage today just as a reminder. But maybe if we take the context of this Pharisee and this sinful woman at lunch with uh, Jesus and kind of use it, to answer the question, who did Simon think Jesus was? Who did the sinful woman think Jesus was? And who do we think Jesus is? We're going to begin with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is... Foundational bottom line stuff that we need to understand. This says so much. In the beginning, Jesus is not a created being. The angels are a created being, we're created beings, but Jesus is not. He was in the beginning. In other words, really, how do you say the beginning of eternity? Uh, you can't say it. There's no way to say. It. <laughs> in the beginning of eternity, because it doesn't have a beginning. But um, for us to be able to understand that before all things, Jesus was, God was, the Holy Spirit was. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So to those who question, is Jesus God? You have your answer right here. He was with God. He was God. There's no separating the fact that he is God. Verse 2, or 3. All things came into being through him, through Jesus. And apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. So, if you have been successfully deceived to believe that evolution is how we came to be, it's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible is saying in the beginning, God created all things through Jesus. Nothing that was created was created except through him. So we can see why evolution has such a powerful hold on people. Because it immediately moves them away from God. Moves them away from what he has said he has done, and what he's done through Jesus. So it's a matter of faith in God's word. In Jesus. To believe this. It, it starts with faith. And you come to see. you Come to have your faith confirmed. As time goes on. As you begin to learn. And see evidence. Of how this comes about. Um, for me. This, this also is foundational. Because. Uh, when Adrian and I first had children. And. Um, I was challenged with this. (coughs) What are we going to teach our kids? Are we going to teach them evolution or are we going to teach them what the Bible says? And I believed evolution. So I had to go to the Bible and start reading. It's true. Give me that look. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I got angry because I'm thinking, what a... These people have been teaching me all these years in school. <laughs> so, you know, if you get angry, it's okay, because, you know, it's, I think it's a natural emotion. But Nothing came into being except through Him. And the world out there, you know, if, if you're a kid, where are you going to learn that God created all things through Jesus. Maybe the church, and maybe a private Christian school. I didn't learn that. Twelve years Catholic education did yeah. not learn that. That's why I said maybe, because some churches, you know, have not But it's why our school here is so important to us as a church and as and through many of the parents here, because... There's nowhere else the kids are going to hear it. Um, you know, if they search out, they might hear it on YouTube somewhere, but I don't think many kids are actually seeking out preaching videos <laughs> on YouTube. Um, and I don't think it could be done in 20 seconds on TikTok. So it's a, it's a passion that we have because they need to hear it. It's foundational. Um Verse 4, in him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. So this is reinforcing what he just said, that Jesus is life, in him is life. No life was created except through him. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Your translation might say, overcome it. So, we know from reading the creation account, that in the beginning, there was no sun, but there was light. What is that light? That light is the glory of God. We also read in Revelation, at the end, there will no longer be sun or moon, but it will just be the light of God, Shining. Six, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There is the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. So that's going back to Jesus. Jesus was in the world. He created the world. He created all the people. But yet, they didn't know him. Uh, Verse 11, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Jesus has some pretty uh, strong, um, I guess, faith, (laughs) to realize, you know, I create all these people and I come to earth for them and they don't receive me. You know? Of course he knew that was going to happen. But just, just think about it. I mean, God and Jesus, they love all mankind and they want to have this special fellowship with them and he comes and they don't receive him. Twelve. But as many as did receive him to them. In other words, to those that received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but God. What is that saying? That is saying, those that believe he gave the right to become children, who were born again, who were spiritually born by God. Not physically born, but spiritually born. You have to be physically born first so that you can be spiritually born. That's why we use that term, born again. 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus, the Word, in heaven with the Father, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a critical foundation belief of Christians, that we believe that Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among us. That's part of the Gospel. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John Testified about him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now, for reading the Bible, we know that John the Baptist was born a few months before Jesus, but yet John is saying he existed before me. He's attesting to the fact that Jesus is eternal. That's his God the Father. 16. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So what is is John saying here? He's saying... That if we see Jesus, if we know Jesus, if we read about Jesus, we are now learning who God the Father is. Um, He's saying that nobody has seen this invisible God in its entirety. They've seen, you know, actions of him. But he's saying, this man Jesus, if, if you see him, you're seeing me. You You can understand me, invisible spirit, through Jesus in the flesh. Um, Turn with me to Colossians 1. So you go to your right, four or five books. Colossians 1. And we're going to start reading at verse 13. Colossians 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Do you realize? We used to be living in the kingdom of darkness. Those who we meet who are not born again, not filled with spirit, they are living in the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus can transfer them to the kingdom of light, to His kingdom. Uh, 14. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So, in Jesus, we're redeemed. We're brought back to God the Father, and we receive forgiveness of sins. It's the only way, the only person who can forgive us our sins is Jesus, through the Father. 15. He, in other words, Jesus... Is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So again, this, this term firstborn might be confusing to you because I just said he was not a created being. But firstborn is a title, it's an illustration that the Jews would understand. The firstborn son received the entire her- inheritance of the Father. Um, the firstborn son received the authority and the sovereignty of of the Father. So, the firstborn son would have other brothers and sisters that would be younger than him, but yet he received from the Father. So God is trying to explain to us this position that Jesus has in the Godhead there. Uh, Where are we at here? Okay. Um, 16. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether (coughs) thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. This is just expanding, expounding on what we just read in John, isn't it? So, here we have another confirmation that he created all things, that all things were created by him. Um set, well created all things have been created through him and for him. So we're created for Jesus. To worship with worship him, to fellowship with him, to walk with him, to live with him. 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Have you ever pondered What's holding everything together on this Earth? You know, how come it doesn't go spinning out of orbit? How come um, other planets don't go spinning out of orbit? How come our, you know, solar system keeps going like it's been going? Have you ever pondered on that? Have you ever pondered yeah. why the things we see just don't fall apart? Oh, he we is holding it. and we don't fly apart? Yeah, spare tires falling off your truck. <laughs> That is such a huge huge statement. And understandably, it's hard to wrap your mind around all that that conveys. But start with the statement and ask God to show you how it's true. Not, that's too much for me to believe. They must just be exaggerating. They must have just thrown it in there. It sounded good. Now ask God, show me what you mean here. How does this work? Verse 18. Well, I'm going I'm to pause there on that one. Turn with me now to Hebrews 1. So go to the right a few more books. To Hebrews 1. So we're staying on the thread here that um, Jesus is this exact representation of God the Father. Hebrews 1. Beginning with verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets... In many portions and in many ways. In other words, God spoke to and through the prophets of the Old Testament and the fathers, the, the fathers of the Jewish race, in many ways. Not just one, but in many ways. Verse 2 These last days, the last days is the time period that we're living in. The last days begin at the Pentecost and it's continuing until the rapture, until we're raised up to heaven. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So again, we see this repetition that all things were made through Jesus. We think about, who is this Jesus? And he's sitting there at this table with the Pharisee and the sinful woman. What do they think about this man that's sitting there with him? Um, verse 3 and he Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power when he had made purification of sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high that's where he is today Um, the right hand symbolizes all power and authority And He's there interceding for us when we make our boo-boos, when we challenge, when we are a little shallow on our faith. Um, Jesus is speaking up for us to the Father. Who do you say this man is? Who did the sinful woman think that Jesus was? Who did Simon the Pharisee think this Jesus was? And more importantly, who do we think He is? You know, there's so many religions and religious beliefs in the world, and I don't think there's ever been a time when there's been more. Um, if, If you have some discernment, if you have even a partial gift of discernment, when you see these things that are spoken of, that are communicated on social media, on mass media you should be able to discern the spirit behind what you're hearing or reading or seeing. And if you have discernment, you will see how much out there is not of God. It's being pushed by Satan. And so many of these beliefs, if you're a rational thinker, a critical thinker, you'll see they're not even very well organized. It's just a bunch of mishmash. And it's a little convoluted. Um, If you were to spend time scouring social media and any place online, you can see people from all over the world, even different time periods, because the crazy thing about the internet and mass media is people that have died, their teachings are still going on. I watched a uh, documentary on Scientology. That L. Ron Hubbard is dead, but Scientology is bigger than ever has been. So, it continues on. Um, most people, if you, if you can't rein in your thoughts and your curiosity to, you know, the, Jesus and the things He teaches, and you're out there exploring other things, you can get overwhelmed. You can get confused. You can get walking in here totally confused, not really knowing what's right and what's wrong. Understandable. So this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Exactly. Remember when he was walking with the disciples in the square? Jesus said, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. There are cults out there, Um, they may not be real popular or visibly known, but the leaders do literally say, I am the Christ. (coughs) Literally. Um, Jesus also says, many false prophets will arise and mislead many. That is happening all over the place now. Um, people, as a society, as a world, are so confused. Um, we live here in a very small community, and the amount of stuff that you can hear and be exposed to in the small community is you know, relatively small. But if you start opening up your exposure to things around the world, you're going to enter that overwhelmed state. You're going to be blown away. Um, Jesus went on to say, These false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So even the elect, the the chosen people, the Jews, even the elect, those of us who've uh, surrendered our lives to Jesus, it's possible for us to get deceived. We have to be on guard. We have to be vigilant. We have to be alert. We have to be... Constantly, you know, pursuing the right direction. The only way. Jesus. So what about us? Are we the Pharisee or the sinful woman? Are we the Pharisee or the sinful woman? Um, What do we think about Jesus? Are we just inviting him over for lunch? You know? Just because we want other people to see, we're good too, we're having Jesus over. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus isn't just a way, He is the way, the only way. He's eternal. One of the problems about Christmas is we think that's when Jesus was born. Two thousand years ago? No, no, no. He's eternal. He just came in the flesh during that point in time. How does our life reflect total surrender to God? Total surrender to Jesus. I'm not asking you to give me your resume, but I'm just giving you something to think about. Um, How does our life reflect Jesus's priorities? How does our life reflect Jesus' priorities? Um, We've said, Jesus has said, there's only one truth, one way, the only way. And you have to ask, why do we fight it? Why do we fight it? Why are we so slow to accept that there's only one way? There must be another way. I must be able to find. I don't want to go that way. I want to go around it. There's got to be another way. We have such a hard time coming to that point of submitting our lives and surrendering our lives only to Him. It's it, why, why, and you know we know we know the answers. We know our own personal answers on that, but. It, once you cross that threshold, it, you look back, it makes no sense. You know, you think, what took me so long? What was I waiting for? It? Uh, if you're anything like me, you had to be slammed down to the concrete to wake up and, okay, yeah, maybe this isn't the way. So, our thoughts, our emotions, our commitment should be, here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, it's yours. My life is yours. My will is yours. That's probably the hardest thing for us to give, right? We want to do what we want to do. We want to be the captain of our own ship. You know, it's hard to give our will. It's hard to say... I want to do this, but Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to do this. That's so hard. But Lord, here's my will. And I'm ex- exposing you, Jesus, to the world has now become my life purpose. Can you say that? Can you, can you say that from the bottom of your heart? Exposing Jesus to others, to the world, is my life purpose. I'm not saying you have to know exactly how you're going to do it, but just commit to it by faith. This is going to be my life's purpose. None of us know how long we're going to live. None of us know how many days. And I guarantee you if if you don't die suddenly, and you have a deathbed that you're laying on for a while, you'll want to think back and examine your life and say, yeah, I gave it all that I had. You know, I I I just let God consume me, and when he said do this, I did that. When he said help this person, I helped them. I didn't want to help that person. I mean, they were a sinful woman. I thought some of that might get on me. I didn't (laughs) want to help them. But I did because you said to do it. I didn't do it because I thought, wow, because of me, their life's going to be changed. That's not why he asked you. He asks you to do something because he wants to get the credit. He wants to get the glory. He wants you to just follow and be his hands and feet to those people. Lord, speak to me. Speak the truth to me. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Do you want to hear the truth? Sometimes, it's a little smack in the face, kind of like Jesus said to Simon, Simon, come on, buddy. You didn't welcome me at all. And this sinful woman that you're looking down on, look what she did. She knows how to welcome me. Listening to Jesus, asking him to speak the truth to you, is actually very soothing. It's very soothing because if you listen, it just moves so much of the stuff that you're worried about out of your life and simplifies your life. It's wisdom. Human traditions and philosophies do not give you peace. They, They give you confusion because you know it's at odds with what God is saying. And especially if you're born again and you have a spirit in you, you're going to feel that angst and that contention. The words that Jesus says come out of eternity and land right here at the time that you're in, and they are eternal. So we should listen, we should want to hear what Jesus says to us. And his word is never... um, boring. In other words, it's it's never too shallow where we should get bored of it, like, oh man, I already read that, Jesus, how come i got to read it again? Uh, And if if you feel like that, read it again and just let Him show you something new. It's just, it's beyond explanation that we can read God's Word, we can read the same book, the same story over and over and get something new out of it every time because it's living and active. And we have to come to that place in our faith where we understand that the very best day of our life is the day that we were born again. You know, it's not just a day that we went through and we can sort of remember it, we can sort of appreciate it, but it should be the best day of our life. This is where we were singing earlier. Better than sunshine. You know, blue sky on our summertime day. I mean, that to me is, you know, we see that every day. I'm so excited when I come out in the morning, especially on Sundays. And it's a blue sky, sunny day. And that's what we should feel um, about being born again. Being welcomed in to this family, this kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, let's uh, gather around together and uh, pray for one another.